because uh, the, the modern use of the word has become sprinkled and poured in other avenues and modes of, of baptism. But in the New Testament, it was quite clear it was immersed or to be dunked under by people who knew what they were doing. It was an individual decision not forced upon them either by parents or by anybody else, but it was their own decision they made to put their faith in Christ and to identify uh, with the beautiful name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we're looking at this lesson today, we're going to talk about what it means to identify with Jesus, and we're going to move towards the idea of uh, what it means to be in his name. Uh, But I just want to recall back to what Jesus said to his apostles before he ascended into heaven, where he made the following statement, I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to dunk them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So here's Jesus instructing the apostles who are to instruct all the nations. And so Jesus gives what he wants done. It's not an option, is it? It's a command of what he wants done. His apostles didn't teach that. And in turn, we are supposed to follow after the teachings, which are uh, the teachings of the apostles, which are the teachings of Jesus, right? So it stands to reason that if there's any teaching that's contrary to the apostles' teaching or contrary to the New Testament, you need to reject it and only follow that of what the New Testament says. Amen? So Jesus himself says it's not an option. We're to be dunked in his name. Now notice it didn't say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It said in the name, singular. But also, it's to all nations. It just wasn't to Jerusalem, but it was to Judea, Samaria, to all the parts of the world, and to all generations. So it never changes. So here we are in the 21st century. We're in the nation of America. How do we become a disciple of Jesus the same way they did in the first century? Okay? So what does he want? He wants to be disciples. How do we become disciples? Well, we're baptized, dunked in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the world. Now, the the most beautiful word that you find in the New Testament is the word believe, isn't it? I mean, we're called to believe in Jesus, uh, who Jesus is. Everything, the most important decision you'll ever make is whether or not you believe in Jesus. And more than just believing in Jesus, if you're going to put it into practice, right? I mean, in this group today, there are people who are not sure if they believe. There's some who are interested in finding out more about Jesus. There's others who are seeking after Jesus. There are those who believe in Jesus, and there are those who are putting their faith into practice, right? So we're all in different levels where we are, but the key words, the word believe. And this is so important when you think about the idea of faith, and Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to stay in Romans a whole lot today, and so if you want to use your Bibles, they're there, it's also on the screen. But he says, if you'll declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be what? You'll be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, the very importance of of belief is what? If I, through faith, will confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, what, what will God give me? Salvation, all right? For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Now, he continues. And it's not only the idea of belief, but calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, whether it's acknowledging the name of Jesus or confessing the name of Jesus or calling on his name, it's all the same thing. It's the idea that allegiance, covenant, a decision, that people know that you belong to Jesus. And you're willing to confess that to any, anyone and everywhere you are. That confession. So he continues in Romans 10. 
As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be what? Put to shame. Now, there are times you'll be embarrassed. There are times you might come through trials. There's times you might be uh, persecuted. There's times in which it might be a little bit awkward to be a Christian, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about God is so powerful and so strong and such a savior that there's nothing that can ever take away his promise of salvation to you from his, from his standpoint. They'll never be put to shame. You'll never be embarrassed in putting your faith in God. He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. He'll never renege the contract, if you will, in terms of being saved in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord who's Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, notice, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. So you have in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, this beautiful description of what it means to believe, to confess with your mouth, and to call upon the name of the Lord. And the promise that is there is that if you believe and call upon the name of the Lord, that you will be saved. Isn't that a wonderful, beautiful promise? Now, some are troubled by that verse. I thought we are talking about dunking today. I thought we were talking about baptism. Nowhere in these verses does it talk about baptism. Verse 9 through 13. It talks about belief. It talks about confession. It talks about calling on his name. But I don't see baptism here anywhere. So let's just go back. Notice this is Romans 10, 9 through 13. One thing in terms of reading scripture is what's called clarity by context. Are you familiar with that? If it's Romans 10, 9 through 13, that means in the 10th chapter, you've already already had eight verses before verse 9. Are you with me? It's in the 10th chapter, in Romans chapter 9, that means how many, let's see if you do math, how many chapters were there before the 10th chapter? Let's just see. Nine. That's good. You're right with me, right? Clarity of context. Who was the audience? What was their thinking at the time? And was there anything mentioned prior to this that might give context to what we just read? So we have at least nine chapters before chapter 10 and another eight verses in, chapter, in this chapter before you get to verses 9 through 13. Clarity by context, all right? So he says, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and call upon his name and you'll be saved. So let's go back and look at the context. The context is in, begins in Romans chapter 9 and it goes through verse chapter 11. And it's about Israel. And here's what Paul says in verse 1 through 4. He says, I want to tell you that I have a passion about this subject. I'm not lying to you that this comes from the Holy Spirit. And in my heart, I have an incredible sorrow. It's such an anguish. And I'm telling the truth that if, if God would curse me, if God would send me to hell and it would save the rest of the Jews, I ask him to do that. You see his passion for the for the house of Israel, the Jewish people from whom the Messiah came. And so what Paul is saying is for the sake of of my people, I would be cut off from my own race, the people of Israel. So he's already telling you something in chapter 9. Most of Israel's cut off from Jesus. Why is that? Because they refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're still following after the old law. They refuse to find their righteousness in Christ. They refuse to believe. They refuse to call upon Jesus as Lord and Savior, okay? And Paul says, look, if I could, you can curse me, send me to hell to save the rest. Now, that can never happen, can it? 
There's only one perfect sacrifice, that's Jesus Christ. But this tells you Paul's intent. Now continue in chapter 9. Notice what else he says. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. Paul says, look, the non-Jews who didn't even have the law have come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. They have found their righteousness in him, and here you are, the Jews, and you have pursued the law, you've had the prophets, you've had the miracles, you've had the teachings, you've had everything God has provided, and yet you have rejected Jesus as Messiah, and you're still trying to obtain righteousness through the law. Whereas the ones who did not even have it, the Gentiles, they have found Jesus. They have found this righteousness. So then he continues, notice in verse 10, chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they what? Be saved. So in chapter 9, he's already set up, the Jews are not saved if they have rejected Jesus. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who what? Righteousness for everyone who what? Believes. Believes whom? In Jesus. Finding their righteousness in Jesus. Speaking to the Jews who had rejected Jesus. So he sets this up in verse 4. Now continuing, same chapter before we get to 9 following. Context by clarification through identity. Notice how he connects their righteousness with Jesus and what Jesus does for them. Notice the next verses. Moses writes this about righteousness by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. In other words, the word, the message, it's there to hear, it's there to listen. It's all about Jesus. It's so near to you. If you will just take it into your heart and confess with your mouth, you're going to find that righteousness that you need to live by. Verse 8. Now verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Non-believing Jew, you must declare that you believe Jesus is Lord. And you'll believe that in your heart, that he's the Messiah. Your righteousness comes from him. That God raised him from the dead, resurrection. You will be what? Saved. You are cursed, you are lost without Jesus. You're following the old law when there's a new law been established. You're still following after the old way and rejecting the very one who was the culmination of the old law, that of Jesus. And therefore, unless you believe and declare that Jesus is Lord, you're going to be lost. For it is with your heart that you believe and are what? Justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are what? Saved. Isn't that beautiful? And he continues. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Gentiles have already called upon the name of the Lord and they're being what? Saved. Jews, you got to do the very same thing. So he continues in context, how then can they call upon the one that they have not believed in? In other words, it takes faith to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. 
And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? Really, the word there is to listen to, you will. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent, as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Paul says, look, the word of God's come to you, the word about Jesus. You're hearing it but not listening to it. You are not believing in it. And here's the good news of the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, was raised, so that you can have forgiveness of sins, and you're rejecting it. You're rejecting the name of Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Are you with me? Which then he then makes the next statement, but not all Israelites accepted the good news. Rejection. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from what? Hearing the message, and the message is heard through the what? The word about Christ, about Jesus. You have to hear the message about Christ. Respond in faith, confess in his name, call upon the Lord. And they said, did they not hear? And Paul says, of course they did. They heard, but they rejected. Now then, so clarity of context. So we had all this about Israel, chapters 9 through 11. But David still, that mentioned nothing about baptism. So let's go to the next point. Clarity about context. Building on presupposed statements. Have you ever heard of that? Where you build on presupposed statements. If statements are made prior, you make a statement now, it's based upon what you said before, but you don't have to repeat it over and over again because it's already been presupposed. Let me give you an example. You get in the mail, this flyer, that says, call 1-800-GET-A-CAR, everybody approved. 36 font, bold and black, all right? Call 1-800-GET-A-CAR, everybody approved. And then you look on the flyer in the one font that you can't read with your glasses, and it says, with the asterisk, remember? Must have a monthly income of $1,300. Must have been steady employed for the past year. Must have a credit score of minimum of 700 and must have resided at the same residence for two years. Right? Call 1-800-GET-A-CAR, everybody approved. Who's the everybody in the flyer? If you made a minimum income of $1,300, if you lived at the same address for two years, if you had steady employment for one year, and if you had a minimum credit score of 700, you're the everybody. If not, you're nobody. (laughs) So, oh, that's, that's technical language. But it's clearly identified the presuppositions within that statement, that flyer you got was what? You will be approved if you meet the following presuppositions, right? You will be approved. So, looking at the Bible in terms of context, the book of Romans. Boy, y'all are saying, where are you going with this, David? Stay with me. Romans 10. What What in terms of that identifying with Jesus Christ is so important because here, Let's go to Romans chapter 1, presupposition. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's what? The power of God that brings salvation to anyone who believes. Who's the everybody there? Anybody who believes. But there's going to be some suppositions there, right? In terms of looking at that. For notice, first to the Jew, then to what? Gentiles. Anybody become a Christian. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will do what? Live by faith. Faith in whom? In Christ, in Jesus. So you find in Romans 1, 
All non-Jews are sinners, without exception. In Romans chapter 2, every single Jew, without exception, except Jesus, of course, every single Jew is a sinner. And you come to chapter 3, non-Jews and Jews need righteousness to be declared righteous by Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So in chapter 3, it says, this righteousness is given to us through whom? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? Will believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, we just saw that in Romans 10. No difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? Faith. I'm a non-Jew. I've sinned. How to become righteous? Faith in Jesus. I'm a Jew that sinned. How to become righteous? Through my faith in Jesus Christ. No distinction whatsoever. Chapter 4, justified by faith. Chapter 5, I have peace with God. Sin entered in this world through Adam and Eve. I'm dead because of sin, but the one man who now lives, the Christ Jesus, through him I now have eternal life. I have peace with God. And so all these great suppositions are made. All these great statements are made. And then you come to Romans chapter 6. And here's how it all ties in together. I have to identify with Jesus, his death, his burial, resurrection. I have to enter into the contract I have with Jesus in terms of allegiance, the covenant I have with him. How do I do that? Do you not know that all of you who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his what? How do I come in contact with the death of Jesus? His salvation. Notice, we were here, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. So here in the sixth chapter, Paul, Billy, and other parts have now said the importance of dunking in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? So now you come to chapter 8. What are we doing? The entire book of Romans, aren't we? <laughs> chapter 8, there is therefore non, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? How did that occur? Because by faith, I put my faith in Jesus, baptized into his name, identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, had my sins washed away, and now there's no condemnation. So now Paul says to the Israel, the Jewish people, Romans 9 through 11, basically, 9 and 10, listen, if you want to participate in this justification by faith, this peace with God, if you want this righteousness that God, God's going to give you, you must declare and believe that Jesus is Lord and confess him and call upon his name and you'll be saved. But it's all based upon Romans 6. All based upon those things coming together. So that's the first part. Now, let's go back to Romans 6 for just a moment, and let's look a little bit more, because we often think about baptism in terms of just a one-time act. Well, David, I was baptized years ago. Well, so was I, all right? But when Paul talks about baptism, he talks about it in the present state, something we're always reminding ourselves of to help us, particularly in overcoming sin. So if you find in the book of Galatians or Colossians, when you look in Romans, when Paul is talking about the subject of being baptized into Christ, identifying with Christ, is the idea of having the power, the remembrance of what it means, that covenant that you made with Jesus Christ. So let's look, for example, in Romans chapter 6. What shall then we say? Shall we continue to go on sinning that grace may what? Increase. 
by no means, we are those who have died to this. How can we live in this any longer? You know what he's saying here? Now here's a group that's saying, well, I'm I'm a child of God. I've been baptized into his name. I have the grace of God now, so I have a license to sin. And Paul is saying, you don't have a license to sin, you have freedom from sin. You don't use that identification of Jesus being baptized into his name that now you're living by grace and now you can sin all you want, a license to sin. No, what you understand is you died to that old life. That old world is gone, that old creation's gone. You've become a new creation. And those, you have died to sin, so you can't live in it any longer. That's the point he makes. Now, notice, before he even addresses whether or not how to overcome sin, he reminds them of something that they have done. You know what it is? Look at the next verse. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were what? Baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. And here's his identity once again. Here's the baptistry. That's why it's dunking, not sprinkling or pouring. You enter into the water. You're dunked under the water. You die to the old life. You're dead. You're buried with Christ. You come up out of the water. It's a new world, new creation, new life. The old is gone. The allegiance, the covenant, the contact with the blood of Jesus, justified by his blood, made righteous, declared righteous, holy, sanctified, come up out of the water, raised to walk in newness of life. It's identification. Paul says when you're tempted, when you find yourself in sin and it's overpowering you, I want you to remember when you dunked, when you were dunked in Jesus. I want you to remember the commitment that you made and you will never use it as a license of sin. You will never use it uh, in any way except for the fact that it's going to remind you that you have the power to overcome the life that you died to. Don't you know this, he says. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was what? Crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When did you die to the old life? In faith? No. In repentance? No. When did you die to the old life? When your faith, repentance, and confession led you to be dead in the water, to be buried in the water, to die to the old life, to be raised up into the new life. Isn't that beautiful? Identification of Jesus Christ and what that, what that means there. Let's continue. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also, what? Live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And what Paul is saying, so can you. That power of Jesus is within you because you were dunked in his name. And so when you're faced with temptation, when you're faced to give up and get discouraged and you keep following that same sin, remember, remember what Jesus did for you in that watery grave and live for him, continues. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. You're faced with the temptation. You're faced with the sin that's overpowering you. Remember what you did when you were dunked in the name of Jesus and use that to become an instrument of righteousness and not be defeated by that sin. And Paul continues, For sin shall have no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. But under grace. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's a lot of scripture there. But Paul just so clearly lays out the difference between the old life and the new life. And the importance of being dunked in the name of Jesus Christ for that. Let me just finish real quick about the name of Jesus. We've been singing about that, praying about it, and talking about it. Baptized into the name of Jesus. Everything about my life and your life is about Jesus. Amen? What are we supposed to do as Christians? We are to preach in his name. We are to heal in his name. We're to cast out demons in his name. What else? We are to pray in his name. Where two or three of us are agreeing in his name, it will be done. We are saved by his name. We are to glorify his name. We are to be baptized into his name. To be baptized into his name. I think about the time in which Mary was about to give birth to Jesus. And the angel appeared to Joseph. Do you remember what he said? The angel said, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name what? Jesus, because he what? Saves his people from their sins. The name of Jesus. Our Savior. I think about in Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon what? The name of the Lord will be saved. It's Jesus. I think about Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no other else, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we what? Must be saved. And then Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every what? Knees should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus. And what I love about that Philippians 2 verse, go back to it for just a moment, is that you have a choice today. You can make that decision to acknowledge Jesus and the name of Jesus in your life. But if you fail to make that choice in your life today and you die without Jesus, you're going to do it anyway. Because in judgment, those who rejected Jesus, those who did not make a decision for Jesus, will also bow and acknowledge that he is Lord, that he is Lord. I encourage you to make that decision, to live your life for Jesus, to identify with him. Everything about the name of Jesus, salvation is found in him. This morning as we stand and sing a song of invitation, if you need to place membership or be baptized into his name or need prayers, we'd love to help you with that. One of our elders will be up here to help you.